0: So our scripture reading this morning is going to come from the book of Jonah, chapter 4. We're just going to read all of chapter 4, but we'll start with the last verse of chapter 3. Jonah 3.10 When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it chapter four, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to, God, prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is what I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right from their left and also much cattle? These words are God's words.
1: All right. If our uh, little ones haven't headed down for Junior Church, we certainly welcome you guys to feel free to do that. Again, my name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here at the Baptist. And it's a privilege to gather together uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll stay there in Jonah. We've been going through a series here. And um, that series we've called Jesus, Community, and Mission. And um, let me try and get this rolling here. Oops, I'm on the wrong one. There we go. So we've been walking through these elements of authentic Christianity. Jesus, community, and mission. And what we're really saying is, that's what we're all about. Wyndham Baptist Church. Now, Jesus comes first. We need lots and lots and lots of Jesus around here, don't we? And and not just that watered-down Jesus who only says that he really thinks that he likes me and that I'm really special. Not just that, Jesus. We actually need the industrial strength Jesus of the Bible who loves us so much that he speaks the truth to us that we are really deeply broken. But we also need the Jesus that does something about that. Dying on the cross to pay the debt for those who would call out to him by faith. And then then proving that he really is the king of the universe by rising from the dead. We've talked through this, uh, this is our our ninth sermon in this series, so we're kind of building on some of the things that we've talked about in the past, but one of the things that we need to make sure we're clear about again today is this, if you have given yourself to Jesus, the Bible says that you're a slave. Now I know the traditional uh, word in the translations is servant, like in Philippians uh, 1.1 1, 1, where it says Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. But literally that translation means slaves. He gave Himself up for us. And now we belong to Him. He died for you, but now you live for Him. For you, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Now I know other people in our community... And, and it could even be people in, in, this own bu- in this building are thinking, for me, for me to live, is to get by with as little trouble as possible. I, I know that's what we're thinking. But what we're asserting, what we're reminding each other of, is that we know that we're better off as slaves of Jesus than as slaves of ourselves. Jesus is first in our lives. He is the immovable center of, around which everything else adjusts. We do what he tells us to do. We don't do what he tells us not to do. We're not volunteers. We are willing and grateful slaves. If you are your own master, you have no rest. You have no control. You don't don't know what's going to happen even one minute from now. You can never forgive yourself. You don't understand yourself. and Honestly, you can't make yourself happy. So, so as grateful people, we hurl ourselves as Jesus, as the center of our, of our life, as our gracious Lord. So that's, that's Jesus, right? First element. The second element then is community. We love each other. We speak speak well of each other and of our church. We we pray for one another. We we don't stand off, stand aloof, stand apart. We don't live the the typical kind of hyper-individualistic lifestyle. We get involved with one another. You need a few other people who know what's going on in your life. A few people who know what you're facing. What you're doing day by day, so so that they can check in with you and be praying for you and, and rejoicing over you. We need that. We don't, we don't just slip into gathered worship and then quickly get out. We deliberately choose to move towards one another because Jesus is not just saving individual, he's building his community. The Bible says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.25. His dying love for us is why we commit to what's called missional communities. Networks of committed friends living out their gospel DNA together as family, missionary, servant, and learner. That's what these missional communities are about. It's how Jesus helps us to stop feeling distant. It's it's, it's how we open our hearts to each other. We're not supposed to stand at a distance from other people. We're not supposed to be superior or above community. Instead, I'm responsible for you and you're responsible for me. We're in this together. Community is not this optional extra. It, it actually has the authority of Jesus I'm just going to say this, if you're not active in community, you're active in self-centeredness. And if you're giving yourself away for Jesus' sake, though, Jesus is living for you. So community is not just missional communities, but that's certainly a place that that we need to continue to to be um, checking in, right? So it's community in marriage. It's community with our kids. It's community with, with other men for men. It's, it's community for women with other women. We need each other. It's community. That's why we're gathered together today. We need each other. So Jesus, community, and mission. And our, our goal today is to finish the series focusing on the last one. God is a missionary God. God has never stood on the sideline. Instead, he moves towards people that are in need. Therefore, you and I, we're missionary people. We move towards the people that are around us. Uh, Primarily to the people that are already in our lives, right? I mean, I I know automatically say mission, and some people are going to go, what? Where do you want me to move? You want me to leave my job? You want me... We're going to talk about that today. We've got, we got really two key goals. But, but let me just say this. Ask the question, are we living? Are you living? Am I living on mission? On Jesus' mission? We're going to look today. What's God's heartbeat? Are we living on mission? If not, we've got to make sure we get these elements together. Because if we sit there and go, well, I really like Jesus and I really like community, but I don't really have time for mission. Or, or, you know what, someday I'll get towards mission. But it, but if we're really about Jesus and community and mission, we sit there and say, well, I just want the two. Can I really claim to be about Jesus? No, because I don't have his heart and I'm disobeying him. So really it's just about community and it's about me, what community does for me. So let's just, let, let's think through this. That's our goal. We want to move towards balance. And we grow in these things. But we want to keep moving towards balance to have all three of these in our lives. So let me go ahead and pray for us. And then we're going to take a look. I've got really two goals for us today. First, I want to look at what is God's heart for people compared to maybe my heart for people. And then second... I want to offer a practical plan for living on mission without having to quit our jobs and move to Africa. Okay, Now, that's not saying that some of you won't quit your jobs and move to Africa, but I, I know for a lot of us that's a tension point. I know that's a concern for us. So what I want to do is really look at this th- those two things. So let's go ahead, let's pray and ask for God's help today. Father, help us today. Uh, help us to stay cool. Help us to be able to, to concentrate I pray, though, because these, these things are important, God. Our hearts tend to react when we talk about topics like this. Instead, I want to pray that we would instead interact with You through Your Spirit and that You would work in us. So, Lord, we need You. It doesn't matter how, how I put words together. God, they won't land unless You actually do the work. So we're trusting You. God, it's, it's, it's humbling to admit that. But it's okay, because it's real, it's true. So Lord, please don't let this morning rest on me or my ability to sway. Instead, Lord, let this morning rest on you and the work that you're doing in people's lives. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's take that first area that we're talking about and um, let's go and, and take a look at this this concept of really we're we're looking at Jonah to see the heart of a prophet what is God's heart like and what is my heart like so here's the story that Joel just read to us in Jonah chapter four this is such a great book this is such an amazing thing that happens inside the book I don't know if you caught it while Joel was reading I really appreciate the way he drew it out very well for us but here's what here's what's happening Nineveh has repented and Jonah is furious here's this preacher carrying out one of the greatest I don't know if you were down south you call it a revival it was actually a revival instead of what maybe sometimes we term that way but he's carried out one of the greatest revival preaching uh, efforts in the history of the world and where's he at when he gets done with that I mean can you hear it in his voice He's not just a little, a little questioning. He is PO'd. He is mad. He is angry. That's where Jonah is at. Jonah is furious. Why? Why was he so angry? You've got to recognize, Nineveh was a bad city. The Assyrians, they were bad people. I mean, they impaled their prisoners of war. They blinded them. They cut off their lips. They cut off their hands. When when you walked into the city, there was two piles of skulls of all the people that they had killed in battle, plus innocent bystanders. And they did all of this to prove that they were great heroes. They, they reveled in this. There was no discussions in town about maybe we should tone it down a little bit, be a kinder, gentler Assyria. There, there wasn't any you know thousand point of light kind of a, of a concept going on here. It was all about just crushing and destroying. And who would be on their radar? Oh god's people would be the israelites jonah's family his kids that's the tension that's going on here so what did he heard from god what was the message he was supposed to bring he was supposed to say hey three more days ninevites and if you don't repent in three days god is going to bring the pain And he was going to go through that city and destroy them. Isn't it kind of funny, though? Because what did Jonah do? I, I know some of you guys have enough biblical background to remember this. He got that preaching assignment in what? The second verse of the first chapter. What did Jonah do? Ran away. We, we, we got to kind of wonder why. Remember the story, if, you, if you've heard it, this is the one with the big fish or the whale and he swallows him up and it pukes him out. You know, there's a lot of this which is a really kind of uh, a moving story. Why would he run away from that? That preaching job that he had. We're going to see in just a second because Jonah says it with his own lips why he did not want to bring that message. Jonah wanted God to just fall on Nineveh and destroy it. He he wanted them to go down. But God forgave them. And Jonah saw it coming. I mean, that's what he's saying there in verses 2 and 3. I knew it. I knew you would do this. That's why I ran away. You... You are just like this. I remember this from when I was a little boy. It it was part of my catechism. It's what you said to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. I memorized it. The question, what is the glory of God? Answer. The glory of God is the Lord. The Lord, gracious and merciful Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, merciful (laughs) to them. I can't live in a universe like this. Let me die. Isn't that? It's exactly what he says. Let me die. I would rather die than go forward from here. So what's Jonah doing? He's quoting Exodus 34, one of Israel's great confessions of faith about the glory of God, and what he's doing is he's throwing it back into God's face, not because he trusts the promise, but it's actually an accusation. God, I can't believe you'd be like this. And another amazing thing that shows up in the text that, you know, it would be easy to skim past, but but just, you know, catch this. God does not destroy him for saying this. Because this is not respectful talk. This is not respectful talk. This is an accusation. God does not destroy him. God is as merciful to Jonah as he is to Nineveh, even when Jonah, unlike Nineveh, feels no need for mercy. Nineveh turned. We don't see that with Jonah right here. So here's the first insight that I want to give us into the heart of God. What's the heart of God like? Well, the heart of God is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And he's abounding in steadfast love where? To this community. To this community. Do we see the risen Christ as loving towards the lake region? And does that vision thrill us or concern us? Jonah was angry. But you know what? I think we get angry once in a while too. Right? Are you with me on that? Tracy and I got to have a date night. Thank you, Jeff and Jill. For uh, calling us up and asking us if we could have our kids. We're like, yeah, take them. <laughs> we'll come we'll come back in a couple years. But um but they gave us a date night on Friday night. And uh all the traffic is streaming into town, right? And as we're coming up over the hill, right through the middle of, of downtown Raymond, um some guy in an you know, it must have been like a sixty eight or sixty nine GTO uh, you know. He's been trying to turn out of, I think it was true value, and go left. Which on a Friday night can be a fairly impossible task to try and accomplish. Well, it seems he finally got a break. Someone let him out. And he was so angry that he lit up the whole back end of this thing and literally did a, um, a donut in the middle of the street. at You know, this was 5, 515 on Friday night. Smoked him out you know does a full donut right in front of everybody and then goes screaming up this direction on 302 passing everybody you know that's headed that direction on the right just i mean shooting straight up the yellow line he was torqued i wasn't as angry as him but i gotta tell you i got a little indignation going on okay what am i what am i thinking internally i'm thinking oh yeah good Nice, just because you decided you're ticked off, you're going to put my life at risk and my wife's life at risk and all these other people at risk, right? Was I really thinking that because I was so concerned for the general population and the good of everybody else that was around me? Do you think that was really what was going through my mind? Because if you do, I've got land to sell you. You know, I mean, I get angry at people sometimes. The disrespect You know what it was there, I think, really was he disrespected me. I understand he's angry. I understand what's you know that 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 we get ticked off because he got disrespected because nobody would let him get where he needed to go. But he disrespected me. That's why I was really upset. Now I know I'm alone here. I know I'm the only one who struggles with these types of things, right? But do we ever Do we ever look at people and just polarize them? We sit there and go, that's a good person. I like them. But that's a bad person. I don't like them. We don't ever make snap judgments, do we? We don't ever look at people and think, really? I mean, the other thing I saw this morning, okay, I'm sorry, but it was on the news this morning. For those of you who have done anything with Harry Potter, they were showing the, what is it, Quidditch? What what is this word? Quidditch. Tournament in England. And there's full-grown men running around holding broomsticks between their legs and throwing a ball at each other. I'm not kidding. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Which category do you think I put them in? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that was over here because I, I'm looking at it going. Oh my goodness, really? And they're like, Yeah, it's really a sport, you know. And you think, oh, okay, it was a movie. Let's get over it, okay? But 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 that's where that's where these, uh, we we categorize people, don't we? Good people, bad people, people worth saving, people not worth saving. Do you run into that in your life? Are there co-workers at times that you look at and you think, that person's over here. I would not risk anything for them. It's easy for us to put people in categories, especially when they don't make my life better. If they make my life better, if you, if you, if you progress my agenda, what well, I love you, <laughs> right? But if you get in the way of my agenda, I mean, isn't this really where this line tends to draw it? If you get in the way of my agenda, I hate you. that That's why the guy burned out of the parking lot. That's why I got burned up watching him burn out of the parking lot. Because you're getting in my way. Jonah was doing exactly the same thing. He's sitting there saying, God, these people are not worth saving. They're not worth it. Well, let's ask this question then, since Jonah's not alone. How did God respond to Jonah's angry heart? Isn't this amazing when you look at this? Remember, this is what he just said Verse 3 of chapter 4, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, he's not even just at like stage 1 or stage 2. He's blown a gasket. He's gone. He's literally saying to the God who holds life and death in his hands, God, please take my life because I'm so just ticked at what you did. How does God respond to that? This is amazing to me. Verse 4, the Lord said to him, do you do well to be angry? Isn't it funny how, A, we always recognize God comes. God comes to Jonah. Like we said, God's a missionary God. He doesn't sit back and wait and say, let's see what he does. Instead, he he comes. And when he comes, he asks questions. We saw it with Adam and Eve. You see it now with Jonah. Do you do well? be angry that just surprises me he doesn't respond in anger instead God begins to reason with him he calmly says this to him what is Jonah's response look at verse 5 what did Jonah do this is one you can actually answer if you were a parent of Jonah as a teenager what did Jonah just do? Yeah, he was pouting. He rolled his eyes and he stomped out of the room. Didn't he? As we see in verse 5, Jonah went out of the city. Probably it's a timing issue here. Probably what happened was verses, you know, 5 through um you know, maybe 8 or 9 probably happened first, but verses 1 through 4 really draw the point for us to see. But essentially what happens here is Jonah has stomped out of Nineveh. And he's angry with God. And he goes and he sits down, right? But God pursues him. God goes with him. So in order to get a point across to Jonah, God does what you and I maybe wish we could do. And at times we do something similar to this. But God actually appoints this plant. Please catch the sovereignty of God throughout the book of Jonah because it's all over the place. But God actually says, plant grow there, and it grows up while the prophet waits for God to wise up and change his mind and destroy Nineveh. But again, notice that God continues to pursue him. So God then causes this, this nice shady plant that's over his head. He causes a worm to come and attack the plant, and it withers. Then God appoints a scorching east wind, to give Jonah a sunburn. The prophet's final words in the book are, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. You know, sometimes with that's our kids, we, we start taking that in thought process and go, maybe, maybe, maybe we can give you that if you want that. But that's not God's response here. God keeps pursuing him. He reasons with Jonah. In fact, the book really ends with God asking Jonah a question. And I want you to notice this. God is in heaven, and he's asking little itty bitty Jonah a question about himself, about God. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? This is verse 11. In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And also there's much cattle. In other words, God says, Jonah, it's amazing how easily you divide people into two categories. The people I ought to love and the people that I ought to destroy. You feel angry now as if something has been stolen from you. And yet you grieve over this little plant. John, I, I care about that plant too. But something else that moves me for all those people that are down there in that big city, people who don't know their spiritual right hand from their left. If you care about your little plant. Is it okay if I care about these animals down there in Nineveh? You you pity yourself. But what about all those people? You're so sure of yourself, Jonah. So help me out here. Advise me. What should I feel as God? Am I wrong to pity Nineveh? Is your anger wiser than my compassion? Is my mercy towards sinners offensive? Or is it my glory? Jonah, should God look more like you? Or should you look more like God? Tell me, Jonah, what kind of person should I be? And honestly, what would be the implications then for you? If I were. And that's the end of the book. We don't know how Jonah answered that question, do we? The end of the book, he's still ticked off. (laughs) I've got a hunch. My hunch is that that missionary God who always moves towards people, kept moving towards Jonah, slowly but clearly pursuing with truth and with grace. The sovereign king who holds the heart of the kings in his hands and the hearts of the very Ninevites who repented, I believe he turned the heart of even this grumpy prophet. I think that God, the great God, finally got through to Jonah. I think that the great pursuer of hearts won Jonah's heart. And that Jonah wrote this book to tell us how God taught him to love more people than he had ever loved before. How else would we know the story of Jonah? There's only one guy who knew all the details. Most likely, Jonah, at some point in his later years, we don't know what kind of distance it was from this event, sat down and wrote this story out. And I'm certain he wrote it out as a warning. He wrote it out as a promise. It was going to give a hope to some. But it was also going to shake others to their very core. So this is where our second insight just has to come into the heart of God. First, God's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love to every single person that lives in this community. So let's just say it this way God loves every single individual in the Lakes region. Even guys who burn out of parking lots, even your coworker, even your spouse. Maybe it's that sibling that we struggle with. Maybe it's that person who has done you wrong. They've hurt you. So let's at least say it this way. I'm sure we don't hate the people around us the way that Jonah hated the Ninevites, but maybe the other question to ask is do we love them the way that God loves them? Remember the disciples? When they saw the ministry crowd, what did they do? They said, God sent them away. What did Jesus do when he saw the crowds? He had compassion on them. Are we marked by that kind of compassion? I mean, who's going to take the responsibility, really, for the spiritual future of Maine? Who's going to stop blaming and start loving one person at a time? who's going to embrace the heart of God that everyone in this community will start to live for Jesus and community and mission. Because that alone is the love of God that's come down on us. Folks, let's just admit this today. There are some dangerous things in our world. especially for Christians. But honestly, I, when it comes to like what's the most dangerous, I'm not looking at the definition of marriage as the thing that is most dangerous for the health of Wyndham Baptist Church. I, I'm not even looking at, at maybe um, atheism as really the greatest danger for the health of Wyndham Baptist Church. Your danger and my danger is to live Christian lives that have this vague sense of purpose. These lives that rarely risk anything. These lives where we're satisfied with little fruit. They're packed together with such busyness that I've always got an excuse. Why? God, I can't be on mission. God, I I can't be in community. God, I I can't do all these things. I've got an excuse because I've got to take care of this. God, I've got to take care of that. That is far more dangerous for the life of this body. Lives where we take our cue from our culture and say, man, living to be happy, to be comfortable, to find easy acceptance, that's what I want. Living for what I'm just passionate about, what I, I'm naturally drawn to, that's 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 it. That is most dangerous for our souls. The Bible says this saying is trustworthy, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who believe in Him for eternal life, Paul said in in 1 Timothy. Paul doesn't say, I was a foremost sinner. He says, I am the foremost sinner. Paul saw himself as a continuing but forgiven first degree sinner. And that's not a concession that he just reluctantly makes. He finds there the meaning of his life and his inspiration for living on mission. He sees himself not as a superior person, but as living proof of how patient Jesus really is. And Jesus is still today a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster for you and for me and for our city, for our community, for our neighborhood. What drives you? are, are we are we captured by the reality that I? am a deeply loved and forgiven sinner. Is that your identity? Because that is the identity Jesus has given to us. And honestly, that's where we find our life. That's where we find our life. So let's just take a minute here to think through. If that's true... Even if it's not true, what should we do about it? By faith, how do we live this out? So let's just uh, let's talk through that. By faith, how do we live this out? Without having to quit our jobs, without having to move to Africa, without having to get a couple pods delivered, you know, without, without having to, to do all of these things. Because I know some of us are going to sit there and go, okay, well, you know what? Someday, Jesus, I will be a missionary. Someday, Jesus, I'll do that. No. How do we do this right now? the key to the book of Jonah is what? It's willingness. It seems like in the end, Jonah became willing because of who God is. So the question is, are we willing to rearrange our lifestyle around a new and immovable center, Jesus and community and mission? Not just just come to church, But be the church. Not just attend a service, but live a life of service. Because of who Jesus is. So here's how we think through it. We've got these six rhythms as a church. These rhythms help us live out Jesus and community and mission. Today I'm going to apply them to mission, but you think through this. You can take each one of these and apply it one towards Jesus, one towards community, and one towards mission. Each one of these will work that way. But we take these and we say, hey, instead of having to wait for us to pull together an evangelistic event, a sportsman's night, or having to wait for us to do it, it's not that we won't do those types of things, but instead of you having to wait for us to finally design something that your friends might like, what we're doing is we're empowering you saying, live these rhythms instead of adding something huge into your schedule where we come and practice a you know a music or a skit for 10 or 12 wednesday nights in a row so we can be ready to present this thing we say well why don't you just why don't you take one of these things because you do these right how many of you have eaten today Just seeing who's still awake okay how many of you plan to eat today all right, good. Whether you like it or not, right? Um, probably depends on who's cooking. But we're going to eat, right? It's a rhythm of our life. As North Americans, we're probably going to eat at least three times today. Maybe four or five. Maybe six, okay? So there's, there's a couple of these things. These, these opportunities are going to show up, whether it's ice cream or whether it's dinner. But we have this rhythm of eating. That means that you can have an evangelistic outreach any time today. And I mean that. I mean that. Instead of waiting for us to pull together some big impressive event, you can have an evangelistic outreach event today by simply thinking through and going, huh, who are we going to eat with today? What if we called up so-and-so and and just had him come over to the house for dessert? I, I know these guys like to go to the Mexican restaurant in Raymond, and the food's pretty good. Literally, some some friends of ours, our neighbors, love to go on Wednesday night to um, the Mexican restaurant in Raymond, where they have the guy on the horse sitting out there on Saturdays, which we love, okay? It's pretty cool. If you haven't seen him, you've got to see him. But they like to go there, so they like to invite us to go on Wednesday night. And we love to spend time with them, and it's really kind of fun because then the other day they're like, hey, Josh and Alyssa, do you guys want to go with us? Now, these guys won't come to church. They will not. They refuse. They're just inviting the church to come hang out with them. So it's a rhythm. It's an evangelistic opportunity for us to do this. So we eat together. How about celebrate? Is there anything worth? How about about celebrating 90-degree weather? We can do that. How about celebrating that lakes feel good in 90-degree weather? Okay. How about celebrating mosquitoes? I don't know who would do it, but I saw a lot of them yesterday, and there's got to be some way to kind of do this. How about celebrating birthdays and anniversaries? There have been some pretty significant ones around here recently. How about, how about celebrating the Olympics? Why not? You could call that recreate, right? Recreate. This is the things that we like to do together. Do you like the jet ski? Guess what? You've got a missionary opportunity right there. Notice that I'm not asking you to add a lot to your schedule. What I'm trying to say is let's just think through how we can take what we're already doing and use some intentionality for that. This is why you don't have to quit your job. This is why you don't have to move to Africa because you've already got connections with people that you can eat with that you can celebrate with, that you can recreate with. When we, when we do these things, what should be the natural response? What's the rhythm? The, the reason a lot of these things happen is so that we can listen. We hear each other's stories during these times. That's why we're story-formed. Man, when you understand someone else's story, you have been brought into a whole new level with that person, no matter what that story is. Whether that's a happy story or a sad story, you've been brought into a whole. But we're listening to people. Why? Because we love them. We care about them. And you know what? When I understand their story, I can also bring them to other stories about who Jesus is. So my friend hockey guy over at the gym, his dad was diagnosed with cancer, esophageal cancer. We would have just been praying for him. We, we talk about this together. But as he's talking about this, I'm saying, hey, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible says that if your dad wanted to, he could just ask and our elders would love to come over and just lay hands on him and pray. I, I know he's not a religious guy, but what could it hurt? I get to connect him. I got to connect him with the story about Jesus and Lazarus because at first it didn't look like his dad was going to make it. By the grace of God, it looks like his dad's going to, his prognosis is good, which is awesome. But at first, it didn't look that way. And I got to connect him with the fact that Jesus got really ticked off when he saw his friend die. He's angry with the way the world is because of sin and rebellion. I got to connect him with the reality that Jesus was going to do something about it where we feel angry and ticked off because of the way that the world is. And we can't do anything about it. And this happened in the gym. I I got literally two to three minutes to talk with him. We got to connect these things because we're story formed. Sharing story helps. And then when we do these things, we also get to bless others. As As we're eating... As we're listening, we find out areas of need, and we get to just think through, how can I bless them? Maybe there's a financial way I can bless them, or maybe there's a, there's a, a, you know, a, a hands-on kind of way that I can bless them, and maybe there's a way that I can, I can just verbally just say some words that would encourage them, that would bless them. You might have seen it on the, on the blog this week or on Facebook, but Micah was here last week from uh, Providence, Rhode Island area. And he got to bless his mom with a kidney this week. Mom lives just up here. They're very well-to-do. But there's one thing you can't buy. And here's this young man. He, and, and, you know, they come from a very Jewish family. He was bar mitzvahed. She's very much, his mom was very opposed to his faith. And by the grace of God, I got to be with him when he walked into the room to see his mom one time, and all he wanted to do was come in and say, and all he could do, I mean, it it was weak. But Jesus is okay with weak things. He walked in the room in deep, deep pain, because I I never knew this before, but I guess the person who donates the kidney, it hurts worse than the person who gets it. He was in deep, deep pain. But he walked into the room, and he stood there and he said, Mom, I just got to tell you this, and he broke out in tears. Said, the only way I could go through this, Mom, the only way I could do this, Mom, was because of Jesus, Jesus helped me to do this. That's the only way I could get through this. Now, that's not a well-constructed apologetic to really, uh, you know, really appeal to the Jewish mindset. He didn't. He didn't draw in his messianic com- completion in Christ. He didn't. He didn't go to. But that's powerful, as weak as that felt. Some of us are sitting there thinking, I can't do this because I'm so weak. I don't know how to do this. God's not worried about you being perfect. Jonah didn't even want to do this. He mechanically walked through the place, emphasizing the part about destruction and probably quieting down about the part of grace. And yet God blew that city up. It's not dependent on your ability. Isn't that awesome? Jonah's repentance wasn't dependent on Jonah's ability to repent. God worked. God worked through a plant. God can use worms. God can use hot weather. He can use you. It's awesome good news for us today so we we take these rhythms and what we have to do is 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 prayerfully just approach our day and prayerfully approach our week and say okay god who who can i eat with this week like i said you can use this for community god who who could i eat with this week so that i have somebody that i know and somebody who knows me who can i celebrate with Who, who can i recreate with God, i got a boat. I like to fish. Why don't I call so-and-so up and have him and his kids come with me and we'll go fishing? Guys, I- I'm, I'm not trying to add a 1,000 hours to your, to your schedule. I'm just trying to say let's do what we do with a different intentionality, right? Well, here's a hard one for Mainers. What if you had a project you were working on? Ah, oh, you just crucified your pride. You actually ask somebody else to come in and help you do it. Oh, man. Oh, that's deep in the heart right there, man. Now I'm meddling. I've gone from preaching to meddling. But still, what if you were weak and you let a friend of yours come help you? Huh. That's part of what I'm talking about here. We live these rhythms out. and When we live these out, if there's 100 people here today, that means there's 100 different evangelistic opportunities that are going on. Caitlin can live this out at school. She can choose who she eats with, right? Zach, he can live these out. Our kids are awesome, even at little kids, in connecting us with other people. I mean, they celebrate swimming. Swimming is, is a national holiday for them. Our kids actually help us to live these out. But we, we take these rhythms. Let me, let me just kind of add a little bit more to this. Do you get the idea? We remind each other of these regularly because these are our rhythms. This is how we, this is our like our front line for ministry. This is how so much of ministry gets done. So join people in what they're doing. Let's stop creating new Christian events unless we need to. Okay? You know, we we don't need to make a Christian, I don't know. There's just so many things that we try to make into Christian things that that we don't need. I was I was trying to think of when the angry women get on roller skates and they you know they go in circles around each other what's that roller derby we don't we don't need to make a christian roller derby league we just don't we don't we don't need to make honestly i i'm not even totally sure we need to make our own christian form of softball now, i know i'm stepping on toes when i say that i could lose my job tomorrow but we keep making all these things that really only Christians come to. Now, there are things that we do. We, uh, Tyler and Nancy, they, they were a great image of this last week, right? Some of you got to be a part of this. But in their street, they decided to do a block party. It was actually an awesome event. made me totally jealous. One of the dudes has a nice pool. They set up a big bounce house in the back. And the entire neighborhood was just invited into this thing. And there must have been 100 people that showed up for this. I'll be straight up and honest. It was not a Christian event. But man, it was a great opportunity to connect with people. It was amazing. They don't need to make their own Christian version of that. They just celebrated where they live with other people. And then they invited in their friends to connect with their, with their friends. It was fun. My kids had a blast. You could do the same thing. I mean, when you hear that, don't you sit there and go, oh, I could do that. M- maybe it's not a block party, because I was thinking about my neighborhood. A block party would never work, not, not like that, because we have the only kids in the neighborhood. But what else would work is the question that kind of goes through. and says, huh, for a whole bunch of people who live on the lake down below us, not us, but the people who live down there, I wonder what we could do to connect with a bunch of older couples that are probably pretty well-to-do and they've kind of found this this escape. So, So let's only create new things if we have to. And we will have to at times. Second thing I wanted to say to us is, Get involved in a cause that benefits your community. We don't need to make a Christian one of these. I'm thinking through recreational soccer is going to start in our area. Would that be a cause that could benefit our community? Well, I tell you what, in Raymond, absolutely, because you have a whole bunch of people with young kids and families. What if what if we, you know, some of us just got involved in supporting that, or in Wyndham, or in Gorham, or wherever you live? Be be it, it, it's probably not going to benefit this church. But we're not asking our community to come serve us. We're, we're going to serve them. Isn't that what we're called to? It is. We're willing to serve them. Let let people see that. Here, here's the last one. Guys, talk to your unbelieving friends like they're Christians. One of the biggest mistakes I, I found really hard to recover from was I used to think, okay, well, I have to talk to people like this when I first get to know them. And then at some point, I'll bring Jesus into the conversation. Get them to like me. Then you'll beat and switch. And now I can bring Jesus out. It's like uh, Amway. Okay? Let's be honest. Got a letter in the mail just this week from somebody with Herbalife. Hadn't talked to him in a dozen years and finally get this letter. You think, oh, wow, I'm going to get to see how my friend is. No. Just business cards because they're starting up their new business. And you think, Man, I hate that. I promise you, everybody else does too. So what if we just go into our friendships talking to other people who aren't Christians like they're Christians? In other words, what if if we're just honest about our sins and our weaknesses and about how God's forgiving us and helping us and being kind to us? We humble ourselves and we exalt Him. i got to tell you, proud, successful, victorious Christians, they're a turn off. Weak Christians, honestly, make the gospel more real. So I'm not saying act like you're a loser. I'm going to let you just follow that trail by yourself. I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> Don't act like it. But, guys, uh, isn't it amazing that somebody came and found us? Isn't it awesome that God pursued us? Doesn't He want to do that for your neighbor, for your coworker? And isn't it amazing to get to walk with Him when He does that? Your Father. Your Heavenly Father is inviting you to just be there while He works. Let's be part of that. Jesus, community, and mission. I know these can be a stretch. So what do we do? We give each other a lot of Jesus. We give each other a lot of time because transformation is slow. And we give each other a safe place to try this out. A safe place to experience this. That's what we do for each other. Father, help us. Help us not to walk away uh, discouraged or freaked out this morning. Instead, I pray that you would just help us to realize that you are there and that you're working. Help us to just trust you that we get to go with you on that. So please work, strengthen us, encourage us, and help us, we pray. In your name, amen.